When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Today, I will be chatting with Melissa Perry. Melissa is the founder and lead sleeping consultant at The Cradle Coach and The Cradle Coach Academy. She has received her certification as a happiest baby on the block educator and a maternity and baby certified sleep consultant from the International Maternity and Parenting Institute, as well as her certification as a newborn care advanced specialist from the Newborn Care Trading Academy. For over 10 years, she has helped entrepreneurs successfully launch their own businesses through the Cradle Coach Academy. In today's episode, we will be discussing baby sleep. Do you ever wonder why your baby wants to take those short cat naps? Or perhaps you're at that four month sleep regression and you don't think you can make it through. This episode will cover all of this and more. I have used Melissa personally for all of my baby and child sleep questions for the past eight years. And I can say that she is extremely knowledgeable and has been a sleep whisperer for our children. Here we go. All right. Good morning, Melissa. How are you? Hey, Lindsay. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I am stoked because we have known each other now. So let's see, we sleep trained my first. So she's going to be eight this fall. So I have known you from the Cradle Coach for years now. And I every once in a while, shoot you an email (laughs) telling you of my current situations. And I swear every single thing that you've ever given me for advice has helped so significantly. So first of all, thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. I'm excited to, to be helping you today and your listeners as well. So we can get those kids sleeping. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, a happy well sleeping mom and dad is yeah. what makes really good parents. So I am all for getting those kids and babies to sleep really well. So I think we'll start off with a couple of brief questions I think that will will help because I, I know this can be kind of a controversial topic. Some people say, oh my goodness, you shouldn't be sleep training your your baby at all. They know what to do or you know what have you. So I just wanted to briefly go over some of these questions that I did receive, just kind of like lay the groundwork for this podcast. And I also wanted to mention that this episode is going to be slightly different than other episodes because what we're doing is actually just taking all of these questions from my community over on Instagram and making it into a, a whole podcast episode. So because there's so many questions on this topic, I just decided to make it a full Q&A. Love it. Yeah, let's do this. Yeah, let's go. (laughs) So sleep training. Okay. So somebody had mentioned, you know, sleep training. Is this okay to do? There's so much talk on Instagram on how awful it is. And so I actually just, I wanted to start off with this, this question specifically because number one, Instagram can be toxic. And I've talked about this so many times, but 
If you're having trouble with your baby or your child or your teenager, going to Instagram might not be the best way to find advice, right? Because it'll make you feel bad you're not doing something or it'll make you feel bad for what you are doing. And so really going to Instagram for that sort of thing is is tough. Like I usually tell people that's not really the greatest thing to do. And it can make you feel less than, and we've talked about this, you know, a lot of times over on my feed, but let's just talk about what you use as far as research and what kind of sleep training methods are there? Like, are there different sleep training methods according to a mother's, uh, how comfortable she, she is with sleep training her baby? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and first of all, let me say, I, I know that feeling of you want help. You want it from these trusted sources that you've been following and you're on Instagram and you you feel like you've built this community that understands you a little bit. And all of a sudden it's like overwhelm of noise and content. And you Google one thing and you come back with like a hundred different ideas and research ideas. So we go back typically to the AP.org, which is the American Academy of Pediatrics. And this is a very well-balanced research case studies after case study of different ideas pediatricians have used in order to help new parents with their child's sleep or safety guidelines, research topics specific to sleep training and this idea of what sleep training is. So we always refer back to that because it gives us a, a really well, not just balanced, but also a really well under a deeper understanding of what these pediatricians have actually seen versus all these different opinions that you're finding online. So we want it, we want the real research, we want the real idea, but there are so many different ideas. There are so many different techniques out there. And when we as uh, the cradle coach really work with clients and really deepen this understanding for parents, we want first and foremost to understand the child. We want to understand their personality. We want to see what they're showing you that's in the natural first and foremost. And then we understand where parents feel comfortable. So we get to know the parents. We get to understand where their hearts are, what they're feeling okay with when it comes to their child's sleep versus where they're like, absolutely not. I, I know I won't be able to do that. So don't even give it to me. So we will, we don't want to give a, a parent something that they're not even comfortable using. But we do want to base it off of the personality first and foremost, because if we give a technique that's out there that's very, very gentle, very uh, hit, uh, more hands-on approach from the parents, and all of a sudden the child's personality starts to show up more saying, whoa, too much, you're too much involved. I see this, I feel this, I know if I cry a lot, I will be able to get something more from this. Then all of a sudden, you're almost causing more crying in a very gentle method, making it harder for the child to understand what they're trying to, the parents trying to do. So we want to make sure that we're taking all of that into account when we decide a technique. And then there are techniques out there from very gentle, no cry sleep solutions to full on cry. Now we don't typically do a full on cry with our clients because we find that you can actually do little things, little habits of in the day, little, uh, little tweaks to what you're doing at night that really can 
actually make your child sleep. You know, like that's the goal here. That's what we want here. So we don't have to do this extreme approach. We can do it in a very gentle way, but let's do it the way our child is needing to receive it. Then just assuming, oh, there's one method, one idea, and that's going to work for our family because it's typically not the, not always the case. Yes. Yeah. So there's so much of what you just said that I, I wanted to touch on. So yeah. And I actually experienced this. I don't remember what baby it was. I want to say it was baby number two, but I remember we tried to use the same way that I was trying to put my first to sleep, which worked really beautifully. I tried to do that with my second and because of her personality, it didn't work as well. And I remember telling you that and like right off the bat, you were like, oh, that's because, you know, this baby has a different personality and we just tried something different and it worked. And right. so I think that's, that's really awesome that you pointed that out from the beginning. Because, you know, it, it might be what you're comfortable with and then baby might need a little something different. And it's hard to know that, especially I found it difficult, like from an outside perspective, like I'm the mom trying to get my baby to, to sleep, which is really, really good for their mental and physical health, right? To get as much sleep as they need. That is extremely healthy and necessary for them to grow. And from the outside, I couldn't really it's almost like you can't see clearly, right? Because it's your own baby. And so exactly. when I was like talking with you about it, when once you said, oh, well, X, Y, and Z, I was like, duh, I get it. Like, but it's hard when it's your own baby, you know? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think, I think that idea is that we're, as moms, we're so in it. We're feeling it. We're feeling the emotions of it. We're sensing it. We know what's going to happen next when this happens. And we almost just want to survive that little moment where we can quickly nurse them to sleep and they'll go right down. But then an hour later, they wake back up and we're like, well, what do I do? And having this person coming in this new way of seeing it in a new lens and looking at it, sometimes it's that one little thing and you're like, Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that happened to me so many times when it came to, you know, I'd be like, Melissa, help us. And then (laughs) you're like, well, this is, you know, this is why. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, of course it is. (laughs) You know what I mean? But it's, it's just hard. And, and I will say too, just for the listeners here, obviously I'm on my fourth baby now. And out of everything that I've learned through you, Melissa really (laughs) has kind of come together (laughs) full circle. And Maggie is by far our best sleeping baby. And you know, that might be part of her personality, but part of it was we introduced all of these techniques and things that I've learned through you along the way. And I'm telling you, it has been such a breeze with her. Like she, we put her into her crib. She goes right to bed. She has never cried when we put her in her bed to go to sleep right at like at 7 p.m. She just goes straight to bed. That little cute. She's just so cute. But you know, like last night, for example, so she's been doing this thing where she's been slowly waking up around midnight. And I'm like, oh, no, no, we don't wake up at midnight. We're nine months old. (laughs) We don't need a snack snack at at, at 12 a.m. And, you know, I do typically feed her once overnight still. And is it necessary for her growth? No, I don't think it is. But um, she's definitely getting enough to eat during the day. But it's it's more or less of a habit. And I'm okay with that because I know she's probably my last baby. So we're just going with it. But yeah. I always say that she's not allowed to have that snack snack before midnight. So she's been waking up at like 1130. And I'm like, Mm-mm. so last night we did 
what we did with the other three, we did a very gentle little sleep training. And she, it took her, I think about 20 minutes to go back down fully. And then I guarantee you tonight, I bet you she sleeps through. Like this happens every once in a while where she kind of like three or four nights in a row will wake up at that same time. And I'm like, okay, it looks like we need to go back to, you know, like this little sleep training method. And then she'll just, I guarantee you she'll sleep right through or till like four or 5am tonight because we did it last night, but it's just been, it's been so helpful. So thank you. And I just wanted to say that from, you know, my perspective of kind of using your techniques over, over the past eight years. So helpful. So I think a lot of these questions are going to be so helpful for people. So perfect. Let's see here. Let's dive into some of these other ones. Okay. How much of a child's sleep behavior is genetic versus something they learned or they're creating a habit? Yeah, that's a great question. So I really believe in the beginning, it's very genetic. You're going to see some kids, some babies, those first few months, they are just amazing sleepers. Whereas you find others that are absolutely not. Now there always could be medical issues. We have silent reflux, reflux, just mm-hmm. different systems that are going on. You know, the, the feeding schedules have to be in place. And there's some of those outside ideas, but real you but will find, especially as a sleep consultant, when we find out about the parents and even sometimes their sleeping habits, how similar some of their children have responded the exact same way. So one, you know, a dad might be really a great sleeper, sleeps hard and sleeps well. And they will have a child who has that same idea. Slept great. My first slept amazing, but my second is up all night. And all of a sudden we kind of get to know mom and mom's sleeping habits. And that's very similar even now. So we will go ahead and really get to know that child, but that is a lot in the beginning, more genetics. Now, all of a sudden, after a certain amount of months, you will start finding habits are forming because of what parents are doing. And that is a learned behavior, you know? So if they wake up and all of a sudden we immediately feed them, well, their bodies are waking themselves up at a certain time each night because at some point they've learned to be fed at that point. Their bodies are waking them up saying, hey, I'm hungry, feed me, I need this or I need this to go back to sleep. And so it's one of one or two ideas that you're just kind of getting stuck in when it's being done. Uh, We always say this same idea for parents where they have a pillow and they're comfortable using that pillow and they know how to fall asleep and stay asleep in the beginning, but all of a sudden the pillow goes away and all of a sudden you're sitting there as an adult on a mattress, it wakes you up and you're like, wait a minute, that's not normal. Let me grab my pillow and put it back on the bed to stay comfortable because that's comfortable for me. That's what I know to sleep, to stay comfortable. Same idea for children when they are in there and they are being put down the same way when they're waking up in a lighter cycle of sleep and they're not given that item or that given that thing. Maybe it's parents sleeping in the same bed as them as a toddler, or maybe it's the the parent rocking them to sleep, whatever they knew to 
be put to sleep to, they're looking for when they're waking, which is now a learned habit that is formed because of what we're doing as parents. So at some point, they start to, parents start to have to make some tweaks and new changes in the habits, which is really ultimately what sleep training is. It doesn't, it has this harsh connotation to it. It's a, this really hard word that we're like, oh, cry it out, shut the door, leave. When really it's not that we really are just redoing some of the habits we as parents have formed for our children so that they learn a new, healthier version of what sleep is or what it means as toddlers to feel confident and secure in their space. So it's reworking some of the habits and tweaking them to form really good, strong, healthy habits. Yes. Yes. I almost feel like it's, as you were saying that, I almost feel like it's, it's almost like everything else we, we teach, you know, when our, our children are, are small, right? It's like, I'm going to teach you how to cross the street. This is how to do it safely. And so, you know, um, certainly a two-year-old who wants to stay up all night playing with their brothers and sisters, isn't going to say, well, it is, it is really the right thing for me to go to sleep and not play with my brothers. You know what I mean? It's like, exactly. well, we have to set those boundaries and we have to promote right. good sleeping habits. And so we're the ones that have to teach them those, you know, they're not going to learn those on their own. I mean, what baby wants to miss out? No, no baby, <laughs> no exactly. child, you know? So it's like, I do think of it almost as just our responsibility as a parent to, you know, teach them how to put together these, these healthy sleep habits early on. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I do know such a significant difference and I'm sure all parents do when you're, when your baby or your child gets enough sleep, you know? Exactly. And it really comes down to what parents are willing, wanting, willing and wanting to do. I mean, if they're fine with how things are and, you know, their child seems to be fine, the behavior is fine, which is not typical when they're lacking sleep skills. Um, you find a lot of behavior issues in the day, a lot of tantrums. I mean, that's just backed by the research that we've studied. And But when it comes down to it, if parents are really wanting to make changes to their child's sleep, they have to do something about it. And it's honestly one of the first real parenting top topics like or a process that we have to do to say, okay, no means no. And I have to do something to teach my child this. And that can, that doesn't have to happen at four months. It could happen when the parents are, are really ready. And typically we see it happening um, at the cradle coach, typically around four to six months when parents are like, okay, let's start this process. And then we start to really see that habit form around eight months old when they're like, okay, let's do this. Let's really make these changes that are necessary. Yeah. I like, I think that's important to know as well. So you were saying that, you know, it, it, it really is, you know, the level of comfort for the parent. If you want to rock your child, your two-year-old to sleep and read them a book every night, I think that's wonderful. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think your child will, will grow up with memories of that. I think it's wonderful coming from a mom of four. I could never in a million years handle something like that because I have three other kids, you know? And so it is, it is absolutely what you're comfortable with and, and what you can handle. And, and so for, I think it totally depends on the the parent's personality as well. For me, I'm very regimented and our, our kids have just been, you know, from a very early age, going to bed on their own in their beds, they stay in their beds. And now not everybody's like that. And I think that that's great. I think, you know, as long as what you're doing works for you, perfect. 
Do you know what I mean? Exactly. No right or wrong way to do anything. And so, like you said, there are just so many different techniques and ways of, of promoting this, this healthy sleep. And so, yeah, it's just such a great topic. Okay. Yeah. So we have so many questions. Okay. Let's, I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, we could talk about this forever. All right. So I think a huge question everybody's always asking, okay, well, what age can I start introducing, you know, these healthy sleep habits and starting to, to train my child to sleep better? What age, what age is the perfect age? So yeah, this is, this is typical, a great typical question that we get a lot. And we typically say at four months or 12 pounds, whichever comes first. And what that means is that doesn't have to be full sleep training yet. I mean, you can even start earlier on if you really want to. I know with my second and third, as we started learning more and more about sleep, I started introducing it earlier and earlier as just light things, schedule changes, creating a schedule for them. Not that it has to be so strict, but just little ideas and pockets of time that we can go through so that we know, hey, wake up at this certain time go down to sleep at this certain time. Let's introduce a bedtime routine so that they know what's expected of them next and creating that based around their feeding schedules or feeding times that we really wanted to make sure that they were getting plenty of feedings and enough of them to establish that in the day. So they weren't looking for them all throughout the night. But I think really when you start seeing that pattern happen, then around four months or 12 pounds, you can start then introducing a slight gentle technique. And by putting them down the same way each night or during nap time, you're going to start to connect the dots for them. And it allows them to know how to put themselves down, how to create that natural self, self-soothing self tendencies that they do have, but they have to learn. So you can start introducing that anywhere between 12 pounds and four months old. Perfect. All right. So four months sleep regression. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the four month sleep regression. It's a doozy. <laughs> this happened with every single one of my babies. So I can imagine that it happens with the majority of other people's babies. So why does this happen? Is there something that happens around four months that makes all these babies want to regress in their sleep habits? And what can we do about it? Yeah, that's a good question. It's so common. So many sleepers who were doing amazing prior to this, all of a sudden will be just thrown off. And even those that were not doing amazing before this, is thrown off even more. And what signs and symptoms you typically see around this age, and it can happen even as early as three months, but what you're really seeing is just the the des- the lack of desire to sleep. They just all of a sudden are up. They may be feeding constantly. They might just be more irritable and clingy in the day. Uh, a lot of the naps you can just forget. They just want to be on you all the time. And so you're seeing this uh, clingy state of of baby for the first time almost in the last like month or two where you were like seeing this natural, easy, gentle sleeper sleeping most of the day, you know, was great sleeper at night, maybe whatever it was, they were easy going before. And now all of a sudden this regression hits and it's just throwing everyone off. And so why this is occurring is because they were this itty bitty, very newborn baby developmentally now changes. And that means their world 
has changed. Their cognitive outlook has changed and they're seeing their world different and what they know to be true and consistent is mom and dad, typically more so mom. They know where mom is is the source of feedings and the source of comfort and, and attachment. And so it's a great thing. It's very important to have this stage because their brains are developing in the right way. And all of a sudden now they went from this itty bitty newborn to this little baby that's a little bit more aware and they are looking for mom and dad to be more consistent for. So what to do to fix this is typically to really start creating a schedule here. If you hadn't already, this is the greatest time to do so. Creating a good schedule, meaning wake them up at the same time each morning, uh, put them down for a nap at the same time, put them to bed at the same time each night and giving them this opportunity to see the consistency, to see this confidence and security being met because of what their body is saying, oh, this is okay. I know what's next. I know how to handle this. And that is really why we are starting to implement sleep training at this point so that no now no bad habits start to form which can form right around this stage. So what you were doing now is different. They've, they've started to form this idea. They want you more. They, they, you know, some families have experienced a child who might've had one or two feedings and now all of a sudden the child's up every two hours. This is where we want to start to implement this feeding schedule in the day and implement a schedule in the day because of this. We want them to take those feedings and put them in the day so they aren't looking for them in the night. Yes. Yes. All right. So I think I have a few questions that kind of go along with that. So you kind of touched on this. How long can a four-month-old go without nursing overnight? Let's just say that they are growing Normally they do not need any, you know, any increased feedings. How long typically can a four month old go without nursing? Typically on average, we see them able to go six hours. If that it means they learned how to self-soothe a little bit. So they might go through cycles of sleep where they can put themselves back to sleep too. And then they wake up six hours later from that bedtime and need a feeding, feed them. You know, that's normal. We see that often. It could even range a four to six hour period. And you will typically see at four months, maybe two feedings throughout the night where you are getting full feeding. They're getting full feedings. They're taking their time with that. They're eating. They're, you know, and they're not really necessarily falling asleep to you. They're really taking in those feedings. You put them down, they might sleep another stretch of four hours to six hours and then are up again. So we typically see two feedings occurring at four months old. Now, if they have been able to sleep, they get through the regression, you've learned to teach them some of these habits and skills in the day. And all of a sudden they're waking up maybe one feeding at a time. Don't forcefully feed them. Don't wake them up to feed them. That means they naturally can do this. So keep them on it. And if they regress again at at a six or eight month sleep regression, don't reintroduce these feedings. Once they can go, we want them to be able to do that. That means they're consuming enough calories and ounces in the day to be able to do that. So keep them on that same pattern. Okay, gotcha. Now, 
two things I want to mention. So the, you keep talking about how babies kind of go through these sleep cycles and how, just like we do, you know, with REM sleep. And so Mm -hmm. can you kind of just touch on that a little bit briefly, like how often babies are going through these sleep cycles and then hold on a second here. You're fine. (laughs) We've got some collections from our hike. Those are very pretty flowers. Thank you so much, buddy. Wow. Thank you. You're so sweet. Thank you so much. Can I say hi? Oh, you can say hello. Yep. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Hi. Hi there. How's it going? You have a good hi. You want to say hi? Go ahead, buddy. Oh my gosh, this is so cute. Go ahead. Hi. Hi there. How's it going, you guys? Did you have a fun hike? Did you have a fun hike? Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Okay. Oh, I can I hear fine. You can hear, and then mommy has to continue <laughs> on here. Hold on. Okay. Hi. Hi there. How are you today? Hey. Good. Oh my goodness. Hi, All right, here's Miles. Turn. Say hi. Hi. Hi, Miles. How's it going? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. I Thank think we're, you. We're probably not going to edit that out because that was too cute. I oh my love gosh, it. right? I think that's all part of it. You it know? is. Especially as a business owner, you just got to keep going and right? mommyhood is priority. Yeah, 100%. Okay, who knows what we were even talking about? Oh, we were talking about. <laughs> We're talking about, oh my gosh. Yeah. So these, you know, the sleep cycles while they're sleeping. And so they'll go through light and deeper sleep. So can you just kind of talk about that and how that can affect, you know, how much they're waking up at night? Yes, absolutely. So typically around zero to six months, we will see a child go through this cycle of sleep that's a very light cycle of sleep, going into a deeper sleep cycle, and then light again. And that typically ranges around 45 minutes in total. Now, some children, it ranges 30 minutes, but we like to use a 45-minute range. When that occurs, when your child knows how to fall asleep, sleep on their own and stay asleep, they go from that lighter cycle of sleep into a deep cycle of sleep, coming out of the light cycle of sleep and goes right back into a new cycle of sleep. So they've been able to transition into it easily and has self-soothed and comforted themselves to be able to sleep through it. Now, when your child does not know how to self-soothe or is looking for whatever got them to sleep in the first place, They will go from that light cycle of sleep to the deep cycle of sleep, back to the light cycle of sleep, and then wake up. They they will rise. They will wake themselves up looking for what got them down to be able to get back to a new cycle of sleep. And so you'll see that pattern happen. At night, you start to see that it develops into a four-hour window. And we want that four-hour window because that's a longer stretch. They can sleep through. They have been able to feed easily during the day so they can make that four-hour stretch happen. And you'll see that cycle occur. Now, that's a learned developmental you know, growth mechanism. So you'll see that that occurs eventually. Don't think that's supposed to happen 
the you know first stage of life. That's not typical. Naps with that 45 minute cycle of sleep, that's where you see those little short cat naps happen. And so parents get frustrated, especially those first six months of life where they're like, wait a minute, my my child isn't napping at all. They just wake these like power, they take these power naps. It's like 20 to 30 minutes. Well, that's why they are going through these little cycles of sleep and haven't learned how to get through that cycle of sleep into the next when it's supposed to be a longer stretch of sleep. So it is normal. It's a developmental milestone. They will get there, but sometimes we as parents, that's where we have to jump in and help them through that by teaching them. And that really is where the, the, the sleep training techniques begin um, and, and teaching them how to break free from one cycle of sleep to the next when it's needed. Okay. So that's, I love that you jumped into that because there were a lot of questions on these short naps, right? I'm sure you get this all the time. How does one begin to try to stretch out these short naps? So if somebody has a five month old and they're doing these little 30 minute spurts of sleep, how can the mom try to increase these? So we want to first and foremost, create that schedule. And it, like I said, it doesn't have to be so strict. It could be in ranges. So you can look at the child's wake window. So yes, love the wake windows. Yes. Yes. So when you wake (laughs) the child up from the morning to the next stretch of their first nap, how long of time should they be awake? That's what a wake window is. And then once they wake up from their first nap to the second nap, how long should your child be awake? So we really look at age of child, how many feedings they've been taking in, you know, those things matter. And then once they, we know their schedule of the day, and let's use the five months as an example, typically five month olds, they take three naps a day. So when we create a schedule, we're, we're thinking through the feedings and we're thinking through what they should be taking in as far as nap time goes. So with three naps a day, we know that one of those naps is going to be a longer stretch of sleep. Typically, it's in the middle of the day. Now, so for some kids, it's the morning nap. For other kids, it's the afternoon nap. But usually, it's not the third nap. Usually, that is a short cycle, one cycle of sleep that is occurring. So when we're focused in on how to really stretch that one nap that's the longest nap of the day, we're going to know what our, our times are, our wake windows are, and our schedule is. And then we're going to focus our sleep training habits on that one sleep stretch. Not all of them, just the one. So we're going to put our children down the best we can, as awake as we can, but putting them down so they know how and where they are, how they got there. And then we're going to help them through that and start using simple sleep training techniques at that point. And then when they wake up, let's say they wake up 45 minutes later, we are going to either go in prior to that when they're in that lighter stretch of sleep, we're going to go ahead and go in there, shush them, maybe give them the pacifier, help them through that, stepping out and seeing if they can get through to the next cycle of sleep. If they can, amazing. When they wake up, you praise them, you affirm them, you are just really excited for them. They feel those emotions. So when, if they do not, say they wake up from that 
then we're going to go ahead and really show forth more of that sleep training at that time frame. So you'll go ahead and sleep train them until the, the amount of time you are trying to get to. So if you typically say, let's try for two hour nap at this place, then we'll go ahead and sleep train them for the two hour period of time. Don't feel like that's full on sleep, two hours of sleep training. That's not. Usually they've been sleeping for 45 minutes. You've been working on the sleep training habits and typically they fall asleep easily at that place. Now, if they're not, especially for naps, naps take two weeks of consistent process to really see uh, what's going on. So in order to really make this a win, you are going to find that it's going to take you two weeks of your consistent technique to be done with the consistent scheduled times of naps to be to be allocated in. So we want all that to happen for two weeks before we say, you know what, this isn't working. Maybe it's our scheduled times. Maybe it's how we're doing it. That is really important when we decipher what's next. Okay. Yeah. And I, I love the sleep windows. I mean, with my other babies, I was always just very like, especially with my first, I was like very strict. I like made a schedule. I wrote it down. I was, you know, and I think that's part of the learning process, right? I mean, that's how you figure things out. And especially when we were working together, it was very helpful. But by my fourth baby, I was like, these windows are really helpful now because I have all of that background information. And now I'm just basing my schedule off of these wake windows. And to be honest, it just let me breathe. Like I felt like a lot less stress and anxiety with relationship to her sleep set schedule. And so I, I still go by those. She's nine months old and I'm like, Oh, okay. Let me just look at my little sleep window. Um, my little chart and we'll, we'll put one in the show notes for everybody but they're great and they do help a lot. And I don't know if there's one in particular or a sleep sleep window chart that you have that you recommend. I know that some of them vary by like 30 minutes here and there. And I'm not really sure that makes much of a difference, but if there's one, or if you have one that you've created yourself that you want to send over to me, we can put it into the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. I will. And you're right. There are so many varying timeframes. So the reason for that, it goes back to every child is different. Every sleep training method doesn't work for every child and neither does the wake window stretches. Some kids take a solid two hour morning nap and that would look different wake window wise for the next nap in some way. Some children need need sleep earlier on versus later. So there are varying ideas, but we like to look at the range of time. So around this time, around this age, you'll see this uh, rough around the hours or minutes of a wake window stretch. And so following that really does um, eliminate a lot of uncertainty for parents. Uh, It doesn't make you feel like you're living and dying by a child's schedule as well. And that's huge. And also your child will show for some things differently each day, you know? And so you're, you're kind of going about based on that information. So it gives you a good sense of around this time, my child should be going down for a nap. And around this time, my child should be sleeping for. So it helps tremendously. But yes, I will give you one to kind of follow through with for your, for your followers. Perfect. Okay, so let's talk about the difference between our aggression or a leap or teething or your baby's sick. How can we tell the difference, you know, if our baby wakes up at 10, 2, and 4 one night as opposed to their typical one wake up? 
how do we approach that? How do we know if they're going through a growth spurt? You know, and I, I know that we had this conversation back a couple babies ago, and you had such a great explanation for this and how to figure out whether or not it was because they were sick or because they were hungry, as opposed to, okay, now we need to just kind of retrain them back into a good sleeping pattern. Yeah. So we typically look for the behavior of the child in the day. So no matter what, our children are going to show forth what they're feeling, what they're going through in the day, whether it's sickness, whether it's teething, or whether it's a regression. So what we want to do is when it comes to more medical side of things, whether it that be the teething and the sickness, you will see that their behavior is very different. And very clingy. And you'll see those signs in the day. You'll see that their tantrums are very loud, that they just are melting all day. They're clinging to you. They're drooling. They're just irritable. They're not they're the typical selves. They're not their happy go lucky personality, full on normal self. And that is what we want to look for in the day. Uh, when it comes to teething in particular, that's a big I want to say excuse, and so I use that gently, okay? So it's not for everyone, but for the most part, it can be an excuse to hold off sleep training because their child is showing signs of teething, but they're not showing signs of teething for four years. You know, like th that can be the reason why parents have held out sleep training because they must be teething. They must need this. They must need that. And what I say is, are they showing those signs in the day where you can physically see the white peaks in their in their gums. You can physically see them drooling and clinging and just nose, you know, might be running. And, and those are signs that they are feeling all those things. And in that case, yes, we at that during those weeks don't have to necessarily full on sleep train. But what do our kids need during sickness and during teething? They need sleep. This is what restores their body. This is what helps them get better. And we want to promote that sleep habit. We want to give them the best quality sleep possible so that they get better. And so when we see those signs of the day, then yes, sleep training hard or sleep training being so strict doesn't have to happen. We can still give them those habits, putting them down awake, stepping out, continuing that normal, consistent routine you've been giving, but you don't have to introduce sleep training at that place and then at that point of time. But when it comes to regressions, it's kind of the same idea. You might not notice it in the day as much as you would when it comes to sickness and teething, but you will see that their behavior is just off. They seem off because they're not getting the quality sleep that they normally had been. They're up in the night and they're, you know, wanting to, whether it's a, might be a milestone and they're practicing their new trick in their crib, or they're just up ready to party because they didn't get good sleep and now they're overtired. What, whatever it is, if we as parents can show up for them, and be as consistent about our techniques and our process as possible in a loving, understanding, and graceful way of doing it, you're going to find that your child connects the dots. And when they get out of that regression, or they get out of their sickness, or they get out of whatever it is, they're going to go right back to sleeping fully and soundly, which is what our goal is in this. Yes. Yes. Love it. So say our child is having a regression. 
And they are now used to, so I'll kind of use myself as an example. So my third baby was doing great, only getting up at 3 a.m. for a feeding. And then all of a sudden he's getting up at 10, he's getting up at one and he's getting up at four. So we went from just getting up once to getting up three times. And he's been doing that for several nights in a row where now I know that we're creating more of a habit more than anything. How do I break that habit? What do I do? That is so common. It's it's exactly the signs and symptoms of a regression uh, that you're now stuck in. And so first of all, the first week, we almost just are surviving that moment as moms where we're like, okay, get back to sleep. We here's your feeding, go back to sleep. You're probably going through something, your growth, growth spurt or whatnot. And then all of a sudden you're right. It comes to our realization that now I'm forming a habit. Now he was sleeping one, one wake up, you know, and you're feeding him well. And all of a sudden he's waking constantly. Well, when that occurs, our goal is to start to wean him from those feedings because Either A, they are now necessary because they realize their bodies are consuming those calories and probably not getting as many calories as as they were in the day. So we want to bring that back by first and foremost, knowing we're going to wean from those nighttime feedings that were feedings that just kind of suddenly came. And once we wean them, whether that we start off typically a gentle wean is what we use at the cradle coach. And we go with one feeding at a time, dropping it down. If you're breastfeeding by two minutes until it's completely gone, you will put in your sleep training habits if they wake up because they're habitually waking up. And then you're going to go ahead and move to the next feeding time. And you're going to wean them from that feeding two minutes. If you are bottle feeding, you're going to drop it down by half an ounce until the feeding is completely gone. Now, what we want to do though in the day, as you're working on that for the week, in the week during the day, we are increasing those ounces and getting them back on track. So they're still consuming enough, but they're not consuming them in the night. So we want to reduce and reduce until it's gone or that one feeding is still there, which is completely fine at that place of time. Okay. Gotcha. Now, I know I have, there are uh, quite a few of uh, toddler, more toddler, two, three, four year old questions. So I want to do a couple more baby questions and then move on to those, just a couple of those, because I know I want to be mindful of your time. And we could talk for hours. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's got to end somewhere. Okay, so a few fire questions. Let's see here. Is there a specific time that's ideal for moving baby out of your room specifically? And I know that this, obviously, it's going to be completely up to the parent, what the parent's comfortable with. And I know for me, it always happened around three or four months because I just said, I'm done. I'm not getting up every two hours anymore. And we out. <laughs> that's basically right. what happened to me. But everybody's different. Everybody will have a different you know, tolerance to it. But is there a specific time that's good for baby to be in their own room and start creating those healthy sleeping habits? Is there like a suggested age? I am exactly like you. I was like done at three months. I was done, done. I was like, they are not 
sleeping well. They sense me. They know I'm right mm-hmm. here, which is all great things. That's not bad. But if they're not sleeping well because their senses of smell and hearing are because of what I am doing as well, I just knew they would sleep better. And they were. They slept so much better in their own space. So it is a level of what parents feel comfortable with when they're ready to make that choice to move move them over to their own room. Do it. But what we also, as we referred back to the AAP.org, they say their safety regulations and guidelines say up to one year of being in the parent's room. Now that, of course, we know not co-sleeping because of safety and regulations. We want the child to be on their back and in a bumper-free, crib-free room and space. So in the parent's room, they are saying up to one year. Now, do we typically see that as sleep consultants? No, we do see, um, we know we ask the comfort and desire and goals that the parents have for their child. So like I said, that goes back to what their desires are for their child. And when they're ready to make that transition, feel free to do so. Uh, But we, we, we do push for it and keep in mind those regulations and guidelines pushed by the AAP. Okay. So let's just say we move baby out, baby's five, six, seven months old. What can I do as a mom to help my baby fall asleep on their own? Mm, yes. They were playing bed at 7 p.m. What am I doing? Am I creating you- uh, you know, a routine? What am I doing? Yep. So we're going to start off with a routine always. Um, And even before the routine, and this kind of coincides with the routine, we want to make sure that the child's up a good majority, a good wake window period before bedtime. So many times the first thing we're noticing as sleep consultants is, hey, parents are putting their child down an hour before for their last nap. And all of a sudden they're expecting their child to sleep and they're not sleeping. And so all of a sudden bedtime is not seven, it's now 10. So we want to go back and we want to make that schedule and we want to end bed their last nap at a certain point so that they get to bed well and they are they've been able to see the routine come alive so to speak. So let's say let's use 6 month old as an example. We want about a 2 to maybe 3 hour wake window before bedtime. So we're going to wake them up from their last nap at that set time. And then what we want to do is introduce, you know, a good bedtime routine about 45 minutes prior to bedtime. So if bedtime is at seven, we've woken our child up around four or five o'clock. We have fun with them, some outdoor time, some good stimulation, good activity time, tummy time, whatever it is. Then we're going to go ahead around 6.15, put them in a bath time. You don't always have to do bath time every night, but it does show an idea of what's next. And that allows our child to feel comfortable. And and it's giving them clear expectations. So we've given them a bath. We might do uh, massage time, put their PJs on. The last 15 to 25 minutes is going to be the feeding. So we want a feeding where they're in their room or, or in their sleep space. We want the lights to be dim, but on still. And then all of a sudden, we're going to feed them, give them a good burp, get them ready for bed, put them down, turn off the lights, turn on a sound machine, make sure that room is nice and dark. We want to make sure the room is cozy and comfortable. So the temperature should be around 68 to 72 degrees. And then all of a sudden, we're going to go ahead and put our child down, 
step away, whether you're doing a sleep training technique where you're involved or whether you're not involved as much. So that means stepping out and maybe having interval time frames where you go in and start using your sleep training technique. That's what we want to start off. So we've laid out a really good, clear foundation. It's healthy. It's strong. They know what's expected of them. We've been consistently showing up for them the same way. And now you can use your sleep training technique using one that you feel comfortable with um, or one that we've created for you where you can go in and create that consistency aspect of it and you move from there. So the goal is, is when we find our personality of our child and we feel the comfort and comfort level of a parent, we can really coincide the technique and use it at that place where we are showing up for a child, whether it's picking up, putting down, or it's stepping out of the room for a set amount of time and coming back in and affirming them. We're there. Their needs have been met. Their comfort is there, but we aren't going to get them to fall asleep by us. We're giving them the comforts and reassurances that we are still there as parents, but then we're going to step away and give them room to figure it out and then go back and do the same thing. And we're going to continue to do this until they fall asleep on their own, because then that allows them to understand and make those connections for the next night. And so each night should be easier and easier when you're using the right technique for your child. Yeah, I want to I want to note that as well. That's that's really important because I remember as a first time mom being first of all very scared about the whole typical quote unquote cry it out method. I was really against it. I I don't want to do this to my baby. My baby needs me and I absolutely can sympathize with that feeling. And I will also say that now after having four babies sleeping really well that this is so short lived. Like, I mean, as far as sleep training. So like I was mentioning earlier on Maggie last night, she was up. We very lightly, gently sleep trained her for about 20 minutes. I guarantee you tonight it would, maybe she'll wake up, but we'll go in once rub her head and walk out and she'll go right back to sleep. I mean, this is, we're talking about one night of 20 minutes where you're saying you're okay. You're, and you're going in. whatever you're comfortable with, you know, and this is creating, can you imagine how much sleep you're going to gain compared to those, like, you know, four or five wake ups where they're up with you and not getting the sleep that they need. And so I think it's so important to kind of note that it really, I mean, it, it absolutely depends on the baby. I think some are easier to get back to sleep than others. And some will take a little bit longer. Right. And I'm, you've told me that (laughs) with several of my babies. And so, you know, (laughs) one baby might be one night, you know, and one night and you're good and they, they sleep well. And then the other baby might be three nights, but this is so short lived. And what you're gaining is a really happy, healthy, well-slept baby. And right. That is so important for their development. So important. And also you're, you're gaining a mom who is feeling more herself. Oh my gosh. Right? You're going to get me started on that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Like, there's so much aspect to that, that like you, you feel as a mom that you have to survive these moments and you're just, this is part of the norm, but yeah. it doesn't have to be, Yes, you know, you can really show up for your family in this little bit of time to make the family dynamic completely different than that of 
surviving the moment. Oh, for sure. And I mean, how many times are you, you know, snapping at your kids or being really short with them and not being able to, you know, for my, you know, my seven-year-old, for example, if I'm not getting sleep with the baby at night and then I have to, you know, explain to her, you know, while she's doing her virtual schooling right now and trying to explain something to her, but I'm super short with her and not being the best mom that I can be because I'm not sleeping. And so it's just everybody's healthier and happier when everybody's sleeping. And that's, you know, that's obviously more of an opinion than anything else, but it's also been, you know, proven through research that if you're getting the sleep that you need, you are going to be developing, you know, in a healthier way. And so, yeah, I just can't emphasize it enough. I think it's so important. Do you have like five more minutes? I don't want to take. Oh, I have plenty of time. Okay. So, and you know what I was thinking too, Melissa was, I have a couple more baby questions. And what I was just thinking in my head was, why don't we break this up into two episodes and then we can, you know, do another recording, you know, in the coming weeks, months about like toddler sleep. Because, oh, that's a great idea. Right? Because there are so many questions about, you know, two, three, four, five-year-old sleeps. I, I just, yeah. I don't want to different. like break it short. Yeah, it's very different, yeah, right? It's different. It's a different mindset, different way of sleep training. It's it's so different. So yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. So let's do that. So we're going to, I'm going to hold off on all of those questions. And I, I mean, like I told you, there was over a thousand questions I just from yesterday. I, crazy. So, I mean, I can ask specifically for toddler questions and get those sorted out and we can do another episode. I think that would be great to kind of split it up. Yeah, that's perfect. Let's just finish up a couple of the baby questions here. So what is the ideal temperature for a baby's room to get that good sleep? Yeah, so we like to say 68 to 72 degrees. We want to make sure that they are comfortable in a comfort comfortable PJ where it's footed. We do like it where it's thin in the summer and a little uh, heavier, more cotton or fleece in, in the winter so that they feel, but you're not adding blankets into the crib. So it's something that they feel comfortable using, but 60 to 72 degree temperature is ideal. Now, what about like a sleep sack? I love sleep sacks. Yeah, I think that it's a great transitional uh, item to use from swaddle to sleep sack, and you can really use sleep sacks for quite a while. But yeah, if your if your sleep sack is heavier and it's summertime, you can use still a thin PJ, or some mm-hmm. parents aren't even using a PJ. Just yeah. feel your, your the temperature of your child to make sure that they're comfortable. If they're waking up a lot, typically it's either they're too hot or they're too cold when they have been able to use these sleep habits already. So uh, that's usually it's because of the temperature. Yeah. And they, they make these sleep sacks now, which I didn't even realize until Maggie, they have different weights to them. You can get them. You know, some of these brands have like, I I think it was like 0.5 and they have a 1.0, 1.5 and they're like different weights. And so right now Maggie's using more of a, a heavier, warmer weight because you know, it's, it's still pretty cold here. And Mm -hmm. I just thought that was so cool. I had no idea. I love that. I love it. I mean, there's new products all the time. So it's like keeping updated on all this stuff. I'm like, that's genius. Like it's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, if you can use anything like that, that your, your child will tell you, they will show up for you in that moment of saying, Hey, I like this, or I do not like this, get this off me. You know, they will, they will show that, but I love a good sleep sack. And if it has a little weight to it, it's even better. Yes. Yes. All right. So what about a bedtime? Is there like a specific bedtime for babies under one that we should aim for? You know, is it seven? Is it eight? Is it 12? Does it matter? 
What do you think? It's a, it's a range. It's between six and eight o'clock, but it really depends on the lifestyle of the family. So we ask in our intake forms, what is their schedule? We see teachers who have to drop their child at daycare at 7am where a 7 p.m. bedtime to 7 a.m. 7 a.m. wake time won't work. Going to work right? So right, so it's really based around the lifestyle of the family. But if you see a consistency of you know nine to five and parent, mom's home or mom has to work but can you know drop off the child at daycare a little earlier, like eight thirty, eight o'clock. A typical range is 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Yeah, uh, 7 p.m. bedtime, 7 a.m. wake time, but a range of lifestyle is based around six to eight, anything later. Now it has happened. We have had musicians or people who have a different lifestyle to have their child go to bed at 11 o'clock at night, but their child wakes at 11 a.m. So you have to make sure you're seeing the pros and cons to the full schedule of a bedtime and wake time based around a 12 hour period. Right. Gotcha. Now, what about sleep training an infant when you have a toddler sleeping in the next room over? I mean, I'll speak from our experience to like our personal experience. Like I, I mean, it's pretty wild to me, but our kids don't wake up at all. Like I, this was one of my biggest worries. And with every child that we've, you know, trained to sleep, we have had absolutely no issue whatsoever. (laughs) Like our kids don't wake up at all. Like they're out. Amazing. It's amazing. So do you have any suggestions for that though? Yeah. I mean, your feelings are so real and so common. And it is one of the biggest holdups of sleep training a second or third or fourth child. And sometimes even twins, you know, like they are, they, parents just have this fear without really knowing yet what it will look like. And so they just don't do it or they hold off or, or you'll see that the child's in the parent's room for a whole lot longer because of this, if they're room sharing or they're going to be moving in together. So what we like to do first and foremost is kind of set the tone. Listen, if this happens, then here's our plan. If you are going to put your child in and your toddler wakes up, have that plan ahead of time saying, Hey, we're going to sleep train them. We're, we've been telling them in the day what's happening. We've been p- maybe putting the baby in during that time to get the child comfortable with it. And then toddler is comfortable with sharing their space for the first time. So we want to build that up, but don't let that fear hold you back from it because Nine times out of 10, the toddler is going to be sound sound asleep and you will not even notice a difference. They may wake up first and foremost, like for a quick check-in or like what's going on, but you have really done a proper job at at telling them what's going on and how, how to prepare them so that it's really an easy transition. If for some reason your child, your toddler or your baby is just having a struggle bus during it, then it's okay. You know, it's, it's totally fine. Just use your sleep training technique and follow up consistently for either or both of them. We like to add in a few sound machines. So maybe instead of just one, it's time for two or three, you know? And so using that, we use that a lot with twins. We will have a a sound machine for each crib. So right below the cribs at a a good decimal, we're going to go ahead and put them on and make sure it's, it's, just enough that it blocks out 
the noises from one another and maybe another one in the hallway. So it blocks out extra noises. We want to make sure that we're setting the tone as best we can, but don't let it hold you back from actually making the move because really they are so easily adjusted. They're so resilient. Yeah, they are. They can just adjust to things so easily. And especially twins, they've been used to one another, you know, but so many times we see that hold up because of the fear of the unknown. So step out of that, go with it, see what happens. And you'll find that most of the time they'll be fine. Yeah. And the, the hallway noisemaker, I, I didn't mention that, but we did use that. That was the setup we have now is Maggie's on our side of the hallway and the other kids on the other side. So we just had a big monster noise machine in the middle of the hallway, <laughs> you know, that we put on, which works great. But even if the rooms are next to each other, putting that sound machine like right up against the wall in between the rooms, I feel like would would work just as well, right? Yes, exactly. That's perfect. Yeah. All right. Last question. (laughs) There's like, there could be a million more, but let's just pick one to be the last question because, oh my gosh. (laughs) All right. So when to transition to one nap? I have a lot of moms always wondering, okay, well, like when can, when does my baby, when is it appropriate for them to go down to one nap and how long should that nap be? We typically see this around 13 to 18 months old. Uh, now this transition, we actually just did a YouTube video on how how to properly do this. So you'll have to check that out. I'll send that to yeah, you. Yeah, definitely send it up. Yeah. It is one of those transitions that throws parents off for a month. And because it's some children will need it at 13 months, they're showing you the signs. They are saying, hey, I don't want to nap. In the morning, they stay up or they fight that nap the whole time. And then all of a sudden, here comes the second nap. And it's it's just complete disaster. Yes. And they're like, wait a minute, what do we do now? And so this transition could be hit or miss day to day. It might look different day to day. Yeah. And so... And it just, it really does a a damper on us as moms. You're like, wait a minute, we want consistency for our kids. We want to keep showing up for them. And they're not doing what we're showing them every day. So what we like to do with this is to make sure you are giving a based around a time now. So follow the clock for a nap time. And why we do it this way is because it allows for their body clocks to sync easily and it does not throw off every day being different. And so we want to range it still with wake windows, but now all of a sudden we're going to really be strict with time and say, okay, let's kind of bring those two naps into one. And let's say it typically a, a 12, between 12 and one it is really where we see a sweet spot when you, they are going down and waking up around six or seven. Okay. So around that time frame, we see that time, that time slot for a nap, and we are going to really be strict with a set time in that range. And once we are there, then all of a sudden we're going to go ahead and use our sleep training technique to make sure they aren't just napping for 45 minutes and expecting to be up the rest of the day. It won't work well for anybody. They will they will just be a hot mess <laughs> during that that afternoon and all of a sudden looking for a second nap. And so we're not trying to do that because that throws off bedtime. And then the next day, it's going to throw off the entire schedule again. So let's aim for a long set nap time and 
around two hours, sometimes even three hours, you'll see your child needing that long nap of time. So let's sleep train them. We're going to be consistent about that time frame and aim for that set time so that they can really connect the dots and their cycles of sleep start to really form and a habit becomes available for them. So then we're going to keep them up, keep them stimulated the rest of the afternoon, get them outside, burn off some of that energy. And then here comes that bedtime routine again, showing up for them so that they see that same pattern and know what's expected next. We put them down, we wake them up at the same times, and then we continue on that same pattern for a good solid two to three weeks so that they keep showing up. Now, one day, if it's complete disaster, they need that morning nap, give it to them. And this, this transition is a hard one. And so give them that nap if they need it, give them those two naps, and then continue on the next day as if you're still showing up for one nap. Now, the more we can be consistent with the one nap period, the more they will be consistent for you. Awesome. I love it. Mm-hmm. There's so much. A good there's, one. Yeah. And there's just, there's so much to learn. I feel like when it comes to baby and toddler sleep, it's like, whoa. It is. And it's overwhelming. It's it overwhelming. Is. And that's why there's such controversy with it because there's so many different ideas, so many different opinions. Uh, and you're just sitting there being a mom and being like, what do I do for my child? But that's really where we come in and say, let's create a plan for your child. Let's create a plan for your family, your lifestyle. How many kids do you have matters? How, what kind of uh, life you're living matters. And so that really is showing up for your your child is really what's needed. Yeah, I I love it. Yeah, so it's it's it can be very hard, I feel like and and every family is going to have different comfort levels. So, I know while this can be, you know, an opinionated topic, it really comes down to what you're comfortable with as a parent and what you're willing to do to get your child the sleep they need and as we mentioned before, it could be that you rock them to sleep. And I think that's great. And it's beautiful and perfect. And you might be the type of person that says, you know what? No, I have to be really regimented. I have to go to work tomorrow morning and I have to get all the lunches ready. And I really want to have some time for me too. And you deserve that as a mom. And so if you want to be regimented and you want to get your kids to sleep best they can on their own, then that's, you know, you have to know what's best for you and, and go with that. 100%. Yeah. So I just hope that people listening, just, you know, keep that in mind, you know, everybody's uh, sleep story is going to look different and you really just have to do what is what's comfortable for you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, this is, it was so wonderful having you on. I feel like you just taught everybody so many different things when it comes to baby sleep and, and just some, at least some core just some core examples of like, you know, this is the age, this is what you'll typically see. And and parents or parents listening or moms listening are probably saying, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, that's happening right now. Yeah. I right. can totally relate to this. This is why. And, and to be like, Oh, I'm not crazy. This is actually part of their development and this is supposed to happen. And right. I can actually take these you know, steps one through four to, to get back to some neutral ground where we're both getting some of our sanity back. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll get something on the calendar to talk more about, uh, toddler and, uh, 
children sleep because yeah, that's like you said, it's, it's just a totally different topic. And to be honest, I don't honestly have much experience with that because I feel like we set the groundwork so early on. We've had really good sleepers over here. And I, I really attribute that to you, Melissa. And I really do. And even the only issue we did have was, I think you might remember this, but uh, our, I think she was three or three and a half when we transferred my first out of her crib and she was having such a hard time and we used your bedtime pass. I remember that. I, that thing was, I mean, it worked so well for her and part of it was probably her personality, but also it's just a great concept. And so that was the only issue that we had, but then I just implemented that for my other kids and it worked great. Right. You know? Right. So yeah, right. so we'll talk about all that on the next episode. Uh, is there anything that you think that we missed as far as just like basics or any other information you wanted to provide? I mean, you you did such a great job with this. This is amazing. So yeah, no, I think that if they if a parent is really wanting something more custom, then absolutely you can go ahead and create that. We can do that for you on our website at thecradlecoach.com. But there's also a lot of do-it-yourself type ideas. And that's what we just launched a YouTube channel so that it is mom who's saying, hey, I want to figure this out first and let's see what we can do to make something different happen for our family and for our child's sleep. So the YouTube channel that we just launched at The Cradle Coach is geared for that. So that they can really see, let's try and do this first and do it right first. And if you do it first and you're winning, that's, that's what we want. That's our goal for, for you guys is to see families win by giving them their child the sleep they need. But if not, then come out, reach out, ask for help. I think that's the one thing that us parents have a hard time doing, especially moms, because we feel like we're supposed to know what to do. And we feel like, okay, well, if we're not, then we can at least ask for help. And that works and it works really well. And so doing that feeling, those feelings that you have are real. And we want to help you and your family get to the goals that you're, you're setting out for yourself and for your child. So I think those things are really important to note as, as well. Yeah. And we'll make sure to put a bunch of resources in the show notes because we talked a lot about different uh, resources here today. So we will definitely, Melissa and I will put together some, some of that for you guys in the show notes. Also wanted to mention, oh yes. So like you said, customizing and, you know, every family is different. And like I said, having that uh, perspective from a different, an outsider who's not really involved, right? As a mom, you're really involved with your own child and you have a lot of emotion attached to it. And sometimes it can be really easy to say, Hey, listen, this is my child's typical schedule. And for you to look at it and be like, Oh, it's because of this. And you're like, Oh my gosh. Like, as we were mentioning earlier, it's, it's something that you can't see because it is your own child and it is your own family. And you have this, this different investment in it. Whereas as an outside perspective, Melissa, like you, where you're looking at it from the outside and saying, Oh, this is very clear to me that this is probably the issue. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's great. So I'm going to ask you two quick questions that I ask all my interviewees. And the first one is if you could give, it doesn't have to be about sleep. If you could give one piece of advice to moms, what would it be? My advice would be to go with your natural gut instinct. I think so many times we don't, we, we look as moms for 
everybody else's ideas and thoughts and opinions. And if we sit in it and take time to really think what is best for my child, I feel like we have that natural instinct in us to say, you know what, this feels off. Or uh, I do like this idea. I think I should sleep train. I know everyone else thinks it's not a good idea, but I think I should for my child. Or whether it's not with sleep training, whether it's feedings. I remember as a mom, if I just listened to my gut and not what everyone else was doing, I would have been so much more successful in the thoughts because I was like, oh yeah, I did think that was a good idea. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was what I naturally thought to do. Or yeah, that seemed off. Why didn't I look into it? Because I was so fixated on what everyone else was thinking about my child or my family or my opinion, then just doing it and going with it. So I always say, go with your mommy gut. Like there's, there's a reason for it. It's like the greatest gift we have as moms to just go with that and, and make decisions based on, uh, on that. It's great to ask for opinion. And it's great to look into and to seek wisdom, but it's really important to go with that natural instinct first and foremost. Yeah. And I think it's hard because of social media now, obviously, because there's so much more opportunity because, you know, as mom, you get lonely and you go to social media for that community, which is a great, that, that I think is one of the best things about social media is that moms feel less alone, but at the same time, Mm -hmm. there's also a lot of noise that kind of uh, might compete with what you think deep down is the right thing. And then, you know, you might see somebody else doing it differently and saying, well, maybe if I do it that way. And so I think that's such great advice, especially in today's technology world where we have so many varying opinions across the board. I think that it's such a great, great piece of advice. You know, it's funny that we're, we're talking about that with social media because it's a huge platform of where we are after COVID and this community mindset and all of that. But it's funny too, as I have this, the Cradle Coach Academy, which is our sleep certification. So if you desire to work with newborns and baby toddler sleep, you can actually go through our online program and become a sleep consultant through certification. But when we have those students and those graduates in our community group, and they're asking for advice and and opinions on things, it's so funny that we get stuck in the ideas of others to give us confidence, because I see it time and time again, even in there, where I'm like, no, you know, you know, the answer. You, you know what to do, but we're so caught up with like asking and seeking advice from others that we're losing our confidence in, in the, that natural instinct. And their first, their first idea was right. And almost having that confirmation in there is it's funny to see even as sleep consultants, we have that idea or as business owners, we have that idea. It's, it's not just in motherhood, but we have this natural gifting as women and as mothers to be able to, to dictate and, and formulate ideas and opinions. If we just like listen to that and feel confident to step into it. Yes, exactly. All right. Last question is if you could feed your family one meal that everybody would eat, that's quick and easy. What would it be? Mm. I know. Uh, everybody always goes, mmm. <laughs> okay, so we did just get this air fryer for the first time, and it's been amazing. So we've been doing all of these like steamed Brussels sprouts and veggies, a little bit of olive oil, salt and pepper, some garlic, and then grilled this, we grilled some chicken. And honestly, my kids could eat that 
every single day, which yeah. I love because yeah. it's easy, it's healthy, but it's quick. And mm-hmm. I'm all about efficiency and all about the quick factor, especially with these three kids that I have around here. Yeah. So they're hungry, they're ready, and I am too. So that's what I would do. A grilled chicken with steamed Brussels sprouts or veggies or sweet potatoes in my air fryer. Yum. Awesome. <laughs> I love that question though. What would yours be? So mine would be my chicken broccoli bacon skillet thing. I actually found this random recipe years ago and I kind of tweaked it slightly over the years. And I always, I I even still like we'll put different veggies in it, but I'll send it to you. It's, it's delicious. And it's something every kid will eat really. I mean, it's like, it's awesome. So it was so great to have you. Uh, my husband Thank has to like so run much. to his meeting over here. It's like, no. you know how life is. It's so crazy these yes. days. <laughs> it's so it's crazy. absolutely crazy. No, thank you for having me, Lindsay. You guys are amazing. And what you're doing here just to impact mothers is like the heartbeat of like what we love at The Cradle Coach. So it's amazing. Thank you for having me on. Yes, we're excited to have you back. Thanks. It'll be great. Yes, have a great day. Thank you, you too. Bye. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.